all that you've done for us in this season as we're celebrating your son coming to earth for us. We just give you thanks. We have hearts of gratitude towards you, God, and we thank you for all that you've done for us. God, we love you so much. God, just bless the rest of this service. In your name we pray, and everyone says amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Will you give a round of applause for these kids as they leave? (laughs) You may be seated. I can't believe that Christmas is just a week away. It always sneaks up fast. I heard that the most stressful part of Christmas shopping, they say, is not standing in long lines. It's not trying to pick out the perfect gift. It's actually the parking. Can you believe that? You're like, yes, yes, I can. (laughs) If you've been shopping the past couple days, you can believe that. Well, in just a few minutes, our lead pastor, Pastor Ryan, will be coming and speaking to us. But first, I just wanted to share um, a little message on family this evening and the gift of family as we're going into the season, and specifically loving our family. Loving our family. You know, the the holiday seasons, we tend to spend a lot of extra time with our family. For some of you, that's exciting, and it brings you lots of joy. For others, it might bring a little dread, depending on your family situation. But today we're talking about loving our family. And love is a very complex word if you've ever had to define it. If someone has ever asked you, what is love? It's hard to sum up, isn't it? I was a freshman in college, and my professor walked into class on the very first day, introduced himself, and he said, everyone, take out a half sheet of paper. And he said, write down what you think the definition of love is. And I looked at that paper, and I was stumped. Like, where do I begin? I'm going to fail on the first day of college. <laughs> this is tough. And it's hard. It's, it's hard to, to sum it up. But thankfully, the scripture gives us a great definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, if you want to read along with me, starting in verse chapter 4. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Mm. Love never fails. It's so good. So good. I think it's interesting when you read that passage that nowhere does it talk about love as being um, when you really, really, really like someone, right? Nowhere does it talk about the butterflies you get when someone walks into the room. In fact, it really focuses on love as an action. Love is an activity that we get to choose to partake in, right? And I want to focus on this part that says, love keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love forgives. In this holiday season, you're around family a lot, and it's often family that can cause us some of the greatest hurts in our life the people we're closest to, and it can be hard to be around them on the holidays, but today we're talking about love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I don't know about you, my memory's not always great, but for some reason, when someone hurts me, 
when someone does something wrong to me, all of a sudden my memory is really good, right? Like really sharp. I remember the details of that situation, right? It's like, put me on Jeopardy, I'll get every answer correct. I remember so clearly. And so when it says it keeps no record of wrong, that's hard to swallow a little bit. It's hard because when people wrong us, a lot of times without realizing it, we get this, this invisible scoreboard out, right? And we, we start keeping track in our head. Oop, they wronged me. Oop, my spouse wronged me again. Oh, my kids, my coworkers, my boss. And, and you, keep, you keep that tally in your head, right? I recently um, entered into the world of pet ownership. Um, I grew up in a family that did not have pets, no pets. We were very rare for the American family. And I prayed before I got married, God, don't send me a man who loves pets. I don't know what to do. So guess what he did? <laughs> he sent me a man who loves pets. And he told me, he's like, I can't, I got, have to have a dog. So about seven months after we were married, guess what? We got a dog. And all of a sudden, I had to learn how to take care of this dog. And if you've had a dog, you know there's a thing called puppy training. Uh, you got to housebreak them. I wasn't really prepared for that. And of course, she would go in the house. And I couldn't, I had a hard time getting over it. You know, every time I saw her, I'm like, remember when you pooped on my carpet? Do you remember that? I do. And I see her a little later. Yeah, you remember that time? Yeah, you, remember, you peed right there. You remember that? I was keeping track, wasn't I? Like, I didn't want her to forget what she did. And the truth is that a lot of us do that with the people we love. We can't let it go. We got to keep track. We got to keep score. And it says right here, love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, a lot of people, you might think, well, there's got to be a cutoff, right? Like, there's got to be a point where you can start keeping track. And if you've ever thought that, you're in good company because Peter asked Jesus the same question in Matthew chapter 18. He says, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother when he wrongs me? He says, like, maybe seven times? I bet Peter was thinking that was a pretty good number. Like, I'm going to give him seven. He's going to be super impressed. <laughs> like, seven times? And Jesus says, no, Peter, not seven times. Seventy-seven times. Jesus is making a point here that it should be, it should be so great you just lose track. You should keep forgiving. You can't even keep track of how many times. And Jesus goes on to tell us the story, this parable in Matthew 18. He talks about a king who wanted to clear up his records. He wanted to get his debts paid back to him. So he gets the record book out and he starts calling in people to pay their debt off. And he calls in this man. And the man comes before him and the king looks at him and says, you owe me 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Some people believe in um, our money today. That could be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions, possibly billions, some believe. The point is Jesus is making is it's so great this man could never pay it off. Even if he lived um, six lives, he could never pay it off. It was so, so great. And the man looks at the king and he says, king, I, I don't have it. I'm sorry. The king says, well, then I have no choice. You your wife, your children, and everything you own must be sold to pay your debt. The man, of course, doesn't want this to happen. He falls to his knees and he begs the king. He says, king, please, please just be patient with me. I need more time. Please just, just give me a little more time. I'll pay you back. The king looks at him and he says, all right, I'll tell you what. 
I'm going to forgive your debt. I'm going to wipe it away. He takes the big red marker and he crosses it out in his record book. He says, it's forgiven. Your debt is clear. Go, be free, live. The man jumps up probably in joy and he runs out of there. His life is back. How exciting. And on his way out, Jesus says that he bumps into a friend of his. And he sees his friend. And all of a sudden he sees his friend and he remembers something. He had let this friend borrow some money a while ago. Jesus says, a hundred denarii, maybe a couple months rent in our money today. And he remembers he lent this friend his money, and, he, and the Bible says he grabs his friend. Like he was passionate about this. He grabbed his friend and said, hey, you owe me this money. You need to pay me back right now. And the friend says, I'm sorry I don't have it, but, but please be patient with me. Give me more time. I'll, I'll pay you back. But that wasn't good enough for the man. No, he calls the police over and he has his friend thrown in jail until he can pay off his debt to him. It's not long before word gets back to the king what happened and he calls that man back before him. And Jesus says, he looks at him and he said this, you wicked servant. Why? After you have been forgiven of so much You couldn't forgive your friend of just a little. And it's easy to read this story and think, that man is crazy, right? How could he do that? What was he thinking? What the king did for him? And then he does, it just doesn't make sense, right? But Jesus tells us this story because so often we fall into the same trap, don't we? We stand before our king and he says, you know what? Your debt is forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. I've paid the price for you. Your slate is clean. Go, and we jump for joy, and we're excited for this new life we've been given, and we walk out the doors, and it's like we bump into those people, and we remember what they've done to us, and we can't forgive them. In this holiday season, as you're around family and friends and loved ones, Sometimes the people who have caused the greatest hurt know that Jesus wants you to live free of unforgiveness in your life. Because he tells us to forgive because we've been forgiven of much. And he he tells us to follow in his example, and that's a good reason. But it's not even the only reason. Jesus tells us to forgive because unforgiveness can become like chains around us. It can lead to bitterness and anger resentment, suspicion, fear, all these things that hinder our growth and hinder our life. And Jesus says, you need to forgive. Trust me, this is good for you. Let it go. Move forward. Jesus wants us to follow in his footsteps and forgive those around us. So I want you to think in your heart right now and just Search yourself and say, God, is there any unforgiveness in my, in my life? Am I holding on to something that's holding me back? As you close your eyes and bow your heads, let's just pray together. And if you're struggling with that today, God wants to help you break through. God wants to give you the strength to forgive those who've hurt you. So let's pray for that. God, I thank you. I thank you that you're the king in that story who has forgiven us of our huge, incredible debt.
that you've given us new life and freedom. And God, I just pray for the people in this room today who are struggling with unforgiveness. God, that you will just help them to break those chains, that you will help them to push through and and to bring freedom in their life, God. God, I thank you that you never leave us alone to fight our battles, but you're there with us by our side. And God, we believe for breakthrough in this place today. Thank you, God. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. At this church. Yeah. And Kirsten, our kids' pastor, is an amazing teacher and leader. That's what our kids get to hear every week. As they go into church, they get to be taught by our kids' leadership team. So you know they're in good hands. That's why they come home with so much just information and excitement. Every time I see a kid come out of church, I always ask him the same question. Did you have fun? Because I want church to be a place that's fun for kids. It should be, right? If kids love coming to church, then they're just going to want to keep coming back. And, and God will have the opportunity to work in their heart. I have never one time had a kid at our church say that they did not have fun at kids' church. Of course, we teach them about Jesus. Of course, we teach them the Bible, but they have fun. They're safe. They love being here, and that's a huge success. That's why we put so much emphasis at our church on kids and youth, because we want kids to grow up knowing and loving Jesus, knowing who Jesus is and what he means in their lives. You know that Jesus, he was credited for elevating the status of women in society, but also elevating the status of children. Even secular historians credit Jesus Christ with being the person who changed the status of children in society. In fact, in Matthew 18, verse 5, Jesus said, And when you welcome one of these children because of me, you welcome me. That's why we should show so much love to kids. That's why we should go out of our way and even be willing to sacrifice and do whatever it takes to reach them. And I'll tell you, at this church, we will do whatever it takes to reach and teach children about the Lord. We'll sacrifice anything. We'll risk anything. If it's not illegal, we'll do it, okay? Because we want them to know. We want them to know who God is and what it means for them to have a relationship with the Lord. This church, Generation Church, I believe it's our responsibility for this generation to raise up the next generation, teaching them who the Lord is. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Maybe you've heard this verse before. Um, let me give you a little background on it. This, this phrase, train up, to train. You think of it maybe as a scholarly teaching or education. But the original meaning behind this, this phrase in Hebrew, it was to give a taste is kind of the, the meaning there. So in other words, the kind of original heart of this phrase was from the very beginning, Give them a taste, and when they're older, they'll never lose their taste for the Lord. Isn't that incredible? I remember uh, growing up, uh, my family, we loved the Outback Steakhouse. Represent anybody in the house love Outback. That blooming onion is where it's at. So pretty much any excuse we had for celebration, we were going to the Outback. Get your Outback on. We'd show up, you know, birthdays, holidays. It was just a no-brainer. I loved Outback. I thought it was God's gift to humanity, basically. I loved it so much, I was pretty sure that everyone in heaven spoke with an Australian accent. And I was going to walk through the pearly gates and Jesus would be throwing another shrimp on the bar before me. So I started dating this girl. 
Uh, when I was young, before I met my amazing and perfect wife, the one, the only. And I took this girl to no other place then, the Outback, right? And we got there. I knew what I was ordering. I was ordering the Outback special medium, you know? And I asked her what she wanted. I knew she liked steak. And I'm like, you're getting steak, right? She said, no. I'm like, ew, I'm not getting steak at Outback. I was like, what is wrong with you? Like, who are you? She said, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get steak at Outback. See, this girl, her dad had raised her going to these super expensive steakhouses in Scottsdale. Like, first class. So to her, you know, Outback was beneath her. He had spoiled her rotten, you know. Someone tell me they don't like Outback Steakhouse steak. Like, my head was exploding. I couldn't even understand this reality. Like, Morpheus just told me I had been living in the Matrix, you know. Like, what? 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 And then, see, I got older... And I remember going uh, to a steakhouse like that. I remember the first time I ate a steak at Ruth's Chris. Yeah, I know. And, and it was just like, I, I tasted it. And all of a sudden, this whole new reality unfolded in my mind. And I was like, I, I, immediately thinking back to that time with that girl at Outback. And I'm like, oh, now I see if I had grown up eating only the best of the best, I too might have been a little snobby, you know? See, I say all that because when we hear what the Lord says about raising up a child, giving them a taste from a young age, I believe that from a young age, if we teach children about the goodness, the love, the mercy, the grace of Jesus Christ, as they grow older, even though the world may offer them other pleasures and comforts, they'll know that nothing else compares to the goodness of Jesus. There is nothing else. Everything else loses its appeal. I'm going to keep talking a little bit tonight, just keeping this theme going uh, of children. I think it's a great night to just think about that. We've heard about family and forgiveness, and I want to talk about faith. Faith is kind of a, a spiritual term. It's an ethereal term. It seems kind of just mysterious. What, what is faith? People say, I have faith. Even people that aren't really religious will talk about, you know, you need to have faith. Well, what does that even mean? Well, the dictionary definition of faith is complete trust and confidence, to have complete trust and confidence in someone or something. Let's look at this passage in Matthew 18 where Jesus has something to say about children. It says, about this time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a child over and had the child stand near him. Then he said, I promise you this, if you don't change and become like a child, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So if you're a kid in the room and you're sitting by your parent right now, you get to turn to them and tell them, you need to change and be like me. It's your chance, Jesus said. And then in verse 4, he goes on to say, but if you are as humble as this child, you are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is so typical, these guys, right? They come to Jesus, Jesus, in the kingdom of heaven, who will be the greatest? What a typical man question to ask, you know? Like, what's the power ranking gonna be in heaven? Who's gonna be ranked first or rated ahead of each other? Is my status gonna be higher than, than my friend here, you know? And that's what guys tend to do as we get older. We tend to measure our self-worth based on achievement, accomplishments, awards, uh, and that's what 
you know, these guys were doing in spiritual terms. I think they were wondering, you know, am I going to be ranked higher if I prayed more or if I gave more to charity or if I served more or if I kept God's law better? But yet Jesus said it's not about that. As we grow older, we become more independent. And, you know, we start to rely less on our parents to take care of us. Hopefully, if you're a millennial, you know, it's like, get a job, move out of your house, bro. We grow independent and we start to do things ourselves. And the reality is our independent nature can also lead us to being independent from the Lord, from God, thinking that we can take care of ourselves and do things on our own. And that's a lot of times the beginning of a bad journey, a path that leads us away from God and the things that he has for us. That's why Jesus said, unless you change and become like this child, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. Those guys, for them, that would have been a, a brain explosion. Like, become like a child, doesn't, that doesn't even make sense. But Jesus wanted them to know that there's something about children that it's different. You have to understand this. How can we become like a child? The way that we become childlike is to have faith. Children have faith inherently. Let me give you some examples. Children, because of faith, they know how to enjoy the good things of life, don't they? They just enjoy. They enjoy themselves pretty much everywhere they go. They're just there to have a good time. When a child is finishing up, you know, his Capri Sun at lunchtime, he's not worried about where the next one's coming from, right? He's just enjoying that thing down to the last drop, See, we as adults, we grow up and we start to think, you know, I got to take care of myself. And we start to worry about our futures and and how we're going to put things together. And what if we could be more childlike and have faith and just trust God with confidence to take care of us? We don't have to be scared all the time. We can trust him. Children, they just completely trust their parents to take care of their future and to guide them into the future. Kids, when you're tucking them into bed, what do they ask, right? They ask for a bedtime story, fantasy. You know, they don't, they're not worried about the future. They're not asking mom or dad to talk about the statement from last quarter's 401k performance. You know, are we going to be okay, mom? How are our returns doing? They're not worried about any of that. They're just looking to relax and have a good, they trust mom and dad to take care of them and provide for their future. And as adults even, we need to have faith like children to completely trust God, our father, that even though throughout life, you know, there'll be different circumstances and times where we don't know what's happening or what's coming necessarily, we'll be concerned about the future, but we need to remember that our future is in God's hands And therefore, it is completely secure. God has our future in his hands and we can trust him. Children, they know that they can go to their parents no matter what happens. And they're completely aware of their need for mom and dad, aren't they? Young children, they just know I need my mom. If I get hurt and I need to be comforted, I'm going to mom because she's going to nurture me. She's gonna, some of you women are a little hard-hearted sometimes, right? But like most of the time, like nurture the kid, comfort him. And then if a child's scared, he goes to dad because dad's strong. He's buff. He could kill anyone, right? He could take down Superman. That's who I'm going to. And as we grow older, a lot of times we deal with the different fears of life, things that come our way, you know, are we going to have enough? And we start to think we don't need God anymore, and that gets us into all kinds of trouble trying to deal with our problems on our own. But if we would have faith like a child, we would remember that I need God to make it through every single day. 
I need him. As I read this passage in Matthew 18, something that stood out to me, maybe I never really noticed it before, was in verse 2, it says, Jesus called a child over and had the child stand near him. Notice Jesus called a child over and the child came. I don't know if Jesus had to count to three first, you know, like, come here right now, I'm Jesus. (laughs) But the child came, and it just made me think about one of the ways that we experience the blessings that God has for us is we answer the call of Jesus. When he calls us to come close, we come. The Bible says that he stands at the door and knocks. He wants to come into our lives. He wants to have a relationship with us. The question is, do we have the faith to answer his call and let him in? The Bible kind of has a pretty cool definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 1, it says, What then is faith? It is what gives assurance to our hopes. It is what gives us conviction about things we can't see. That's what faith is. The Bible talks in this chapter about some of the heroes of the Old Testament who had faith. He talks about Abram, who followed God, called him into a strange foreign land. He didn't know where God was calling him or even where he was going, how he was going to survive when he got there. But he followed God in faith. It was by faith that Sarah had a child, even though she had been unable to conceive her entire adult life. Now as an old lady, she had a child because of faith, because she trusted God. It was by faith that Noah built a boat, even though the world had never seen a flood up until this point. That's pretty crazy, right? Build a boat. Why? There's going to be a flood. What's a flood? Just trust me. That's faith. And because of his faith, he was saved. He was delivered from destruction. If we will have childlike faith, we can make it through things that we wouldn't otherwise be able to make it through. And that's why I want you to understand this so that you'll be able to get through the different things that life will throw at you. See, everyone in the world talks about having hope and how important it is to hope and hope for the best. But honestly, when I think what the world talks about hope, really what they mean is, you know, we just got to wish for the best, hope to get lucky. It's just wishful thinking. But see, what Hebrews 11 verse 1 said is that faith gives assurance to our hope. What that means is that God has already promised that he loves you, that he cares for you, and he has plans to bless you, that he has a future for you. And faith says, I trust God's promises, and so my hope is not empty. My hope is weighty. It is solid. There is traction to this hope. It will take me places. Hebrews 11.1 1 said, faith is what gives conviction about the things that we can't see. For the world, believing in something that you can't see, they would say that's childlike foolishness. But kids believe in things that they can't see all the time. Like I won't give any specific examples because I don't want to ruin anybody's life here this week. But, you know. <laughs> but we as Christians, we literally believe in something we can't see. This requires faith. We have to believe that Jesus is who he said he was and that he'll do what he said he will do. I know it's not always easy because you can't, you know, maybe touch him the way that you would want to. You can't really talk to him and, and, you know, interact with him in some of the ways that you would interact with another person. But yet you come to understand more and more the longer that you walk with Jesus, how you just see the reality of him in your life everywhere you go. You start to experience the peace that he brings you in difficult times that cannot be explained. Has anyone ever experienced that? 
it's just unbelievable how, how he works in our lives and, and he moves and you'll find him guiding you as you're trying to make difficult decisions. And, and, and so you start to grow in your faith and your ability to trust Jesus, that he, that he is there, that he's with you, that his spirit is inside of you and that he's leading you. He's gonna, he's gonna guide you and, and we can trust him. And as Christians, I think it's incredible that God enables us to have this faith in him. I love knowing him. I love, I love the fact that even though I haven't seen him, I've definitely been in his presence. We know that, right? Even though I haven't physically touched him, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, as the Bible says. I've tasted his goodness, and, and there's nothing like that. You can't physically see him or touch him, but you can be in his presence. You can know him and understand him and hear his voice speaking into your heart. Faith is saying I believe that God's message is true. I trust him to take care of me and I submit my life to his control. That, that's, that's faith. It takes faith to do that, to believe what God said is true, to trust him. It's so hard to trust him, but I trust him to take care of me because of faith and I submit my life to his control. It takes faith to give up control of your life because we always wanna be in control. I think about Christmas time being a time of gift giving and I, I love the gift-giving aspect of this season. There's some kids in the room. You're about to get some incredible gifts. There are some parents in the room that from your kids, you're going to get some questionable gifts, right? <laughs> I remember when I was young, I asked my mom for a few dollars. I rode my bike down the street. I bought this um, terrible necklace at a garage sale and brought it back to give to my mom. And she acted like she loved it because that's what moms do. That's when you're a good mom, you know it. Isn't it fun to give gifts? And I've also seen that it's difficult to always know even what you want as a gift. People will ask you, you know, what do you want for Christmas? I don't know about you, but for me, it's like, I don't know. Um, let me think about it. It's fun though, when someone gives you something that you didn't even know you wanted, right? Like that's someone that really knows you and loves you. When they give you something, you didn't even know you needed it. You didn't even realize that you wanted it. They give it to you and it changes your life. That's like the best gift right there. It makes me think about Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, which says you have been saved by grace through faith. This doesn't happen on your own initiative. It's God's gift. See, we were in a terrible place with God as mankind we were separated from God by our sinfulness. We had a problem that we could not fix on our own. And God gave us the greatest gift that has ever been given that first Christmas. He gave us a gift that we didn't even realize how much we needed it. We didn't know how much we wanted it. We've been searching for answers and for fulfillment and for hope. And God said, I have the perfect thing for you, a relationship with myself. Through Jesus Christ, my son, coming to the earth as a man. And through Jesus, we have the opportunity to be reconciled to God, experience the forgiveness that we just heard about a minute ago, and be adopted into God's family as children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It happens through faith, believing that Jesus is who he said he was, trusting him to provide for your future, and submitting your life to his control. We're saved through faith. That's God. God's grace for us. It's undeserved favor. We don't deserve it. We just receive it. It's a gift. Don't you love God? He's the best gift giver who's ever been. It's amazing to receive this from him and know that he loves us that much. I'm gonna ask you to just bow your heads here tonight.
Just between you and God, let's take a moment to just focus in. I first wanna ask if you're in this room and you need the Lord to strengthen your faith, to give you more faith. Maybe you've been wrestling with some issue in your life or looking for answers and you're having a hard time trusting God. And as Christians, sometimes we go through that. We'll struggle to trust God. It's okay to admit that. But what we do in that moment is we ask the Lord to strengthen our faith, to give us more faith, and he always will. So if that's you right now, you say, I need more faith. I need God to give me faith. Just slip a hand up as a way of saying that's me. All kinds of hands in the room going up. We'll just pray for you together that God will give you more faith. I just want to pray for you. Lord, you know every person in this room and every situation that they're going through. I pray that you would strengthen their hearts. Help us to trust you that no matter what happens, you are the anchor in our storm. You hold us secure in your hands and we can trust you. Maybe you're here to this night and you have never placed your faith in Jesus. You've never asked him for that forgiveness that we heard about for your sin and and you need to do that. You wanna experience that mercy and be adopted into his family. Tonight you can take that step of faith and just say, I'm gonna trust Jesus. He is standing at the door of your heart. He knocks, he wants to come into your life. He wants to know you. Once you know Jesus, you'll find that nothing else could ever satisfy that desire that we all have inside of us. If you're here tonight and you say, I want to do that, I want to place my faith in Jesus tonight, just pray this prayer with me in your heart. It's not a magic prayer. It just expresses what's in there. Just say, Jesus, I know that I need you. I recognize that I have sin in my life. I know that I cannot save myself, but I believe that you died for me to pay for my sins. I believe that you rose again, and I'm willing to follow you for the rest of my days. I trust you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let's just take some time tonight to turn our attention to Jesus, think about why he came, what he came to do for us, and the gift that God gave us. Let's talk right now to the Lord in your heart. Just let's sing to him. Let's think about what he did on the cross and how that changes our lives.